Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. So as a pastor, I get to, to travel and speak at a lot of different places and uh, different events, different audiences, um, which is really cool for me. Uh, people ask me, where's my favorite place to speak? And I'm like, here, come on, hello. But my favorite service to do out of all of them, we've done baptism services and weddings and parties like we had last week and travel to conferences and speak at other churches. My favorite service, no doubt, like not even close to preach, is a funeral service. Now, that may sound like a little morbid to you, but here's why I love a funeral. Because everybody in the entire room is thinking about what really matters. And it may be the only time in, in their week or, or maybe in a season that they're in where they're thinking about what actually matters. Because when you're sitting at a funeral service for one of your family or one of your friends, you are thinking, what's going to happen when I die? Maybe you're thinking, what is the pastor going to say when I die? I saw this bumper sticker on the back of a car one time. It says, live your life in such a way that the pastor doesn't have to lie at your funeral, right? <laughs> right? The pastor doesn't have to say something about you that is, that is not true in order to try to save face in front of all your family and, and friends. So knowing that a funeral service is, is my favorite service, it probably won't surprise you that a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was watching Billy Graham's funeral on, on TV. And uh, it was on all the major news networks. There were some radio stations that were playing the audio of it. And I was just like, I was intrigued. Talk about pressure, man, like preaching the funeral of Billy Graham. Like, no, thank you. I did not want to do that. Like, I'd, I'll pass out programs, but that's it. Like, I, I, that's all I could handle. Uh, but it was interesting to see what the people said, right? Uh, they had family members. They had friends. They had people from all over the world that were impacted by this man's ministry. And so it was Really cool, really interesting to hear the stories that were shared. And, and, it, and it got me to, uh, to thinking about a question. What will you be remembered by? At your funeral, let's say your friends and your family or your pastor stands up on stage. What is he going to say? What, what are they going to say? What, what will your life story be? What are the things that people would share? How have you made an impact? Because this is something that, I don't know about you, but this terrifies me. Like this, this could be the thing that I am scared of the most. My biggest fear in life is this. I don't want to be successful at something in my life that doesn't matter. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize the career that I may have had or the money that I made or the the possessions that I obtained or whatever I spent my, my energy and my talents and my resources on. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize that I was incredibly successful at something that doesn't mean anything. What is the pastor going to say at, at your funeral? That's my biggest fear is to get to the end of my life and be incredibly successful at something that doesn't matter. And heights. I'm really scared of heights. And spiders and sharks. And the woods behind my house. But mainly, <laughs> they are scary. But mainly that. Mainly no, number one. And so I began to, to think about, like, how, how is your life going to matter? How are you going to get to the end of your life and, and, and be able to definitively say, I made a difference. I made an impact. Like, I, part of my life in, in my world, in my sphere of influence, like, I changed the world. That's a big question, man. Don't you want to wrestle with that? 
Don't you want to make sure that after all of the time you spend on here on earth, that, that when you get to the end, that your, your life actually mattered? What, what about your relationships, your, your marriage, your, 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 your total life? That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to make sure that when you get to the end, whenever the end is, I don't know when the end is for you, I don't know when the end is for me, but whenever you get there, I want you to be able to say, my life made a difference. I made an impact. Like, it wasn't just about changing my world, it was about living my life so that I could help change the world and have an impact on other people. And so this morning, I want to introduce you to a couple. It's one of the uh, power couples in Scripture, one of the rare times in Scripture where we give insight into someone's marriage. A lot of people's marriages aren't mentioned in Scripture. It was either uh, because they had a terrible marriage, or they were known for bad things, or they may have had a good marriage, but just not a lot of things are, are said about them. Not a lot of things are said about Mary and Joseph in, in their relationship and their marriage. But, but there is a particular couple that they live their life in such a way that 2,000 years later, they are still impacting people's lives. If you have been impacted or challenged or encouraged by any of the messages that we've preached over these last few months through the book of 1 Corinthians, it can go back. We're going to trace it back to two people. So even to, I mean, how would you like to know that 2,000 years later, your life was still changing people? Your life was still having an impact. Like, do you want to make that kind of impact? Like, do you want to live that kind of, of life? And there are incredible stories throughout Scripture and even things that are happening today as a result of just this one married couple. Maybe you've never even heard of their name before. Uh, maybe, maybe you've heard of their name, but you, like, you need a refresher. Like, I know they're in the Bible, but I don't, I don't know what they did or how it played out. And if you want your life to make an impact... If you want somebody, family, friends, pastor, whoever, to stand on stage at the end of your life and say, this person made a difference, this person made an impact, this person helped facilitate life change, then we got to wrestle with that question now. And so I want to I point to you, uh, to, to these two people in Scripture. Way before the book of 1 Corinthians was ever written, uh, there's a mention of the church in Corinth in the book of Acts. So to, to close this series out, we're going to go all the way back to where it started. And we see Paul rolling into the city of Corinth for the very first time. And a really powerful couple that he met. Here's the best part about this. I'm going to share with you three things that every single person in this room, and everyone listening online can apply. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to have a bunch of money or a skill set or a gifting or be able to, to preach to millions of people like he did. Every single person can implement these three things in their lives, and this is how you'll reach the end and realize that you changed the world. This is how your life impacts others in a powerful way. So let me introduce you to this couple in Acts chapter 18. We'll start in verse 1. Uh, after this... Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. First time this pastor and this church planner is rolling into town. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed in their house and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade both the Jews and the Greeks. This power couple is named uh, Aquila and Priscilla. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or not. It's either super cute or super awkward when you and your wife's name rhyme, but here we are, Priscilla and Aquila. Here's the, the beginning of their story was this. They arrived in the city of Corinth as refugees. 
They had literally been kicked out of Italy because uh, Claudius, the emperor over that region, said, if you're a follower of Jesus, you got to get out. You are no longer welcomed here. You cannot live as a Christian in Italy. And so they fled to Corinth. They had to uproot, like just whatever they had that they could carry in their hands, they left everything that they knew in order to go into this new city. So think about this. God's plan to use this couple to change the world started with their absolute worst-case scenario. The worst day of their life is the day they were kicked out of Italy and had to move to the city of Corinth as religious refugees when life looked like they were in total survival mode. That's when God showed up and said, you know what, I think we'll start here. How, How cool and encouraging is it that oftentimes the dead ends that we see in our lives, the places in our marriage or our, our finances or our jobs and our relationships, the times that to us look like a dead end are oftentimes the, the times when God steps up and said, okay, cool, I think, we'll, I think we'll start a new beginning right here. And I hope that's encouraging to you because I, my life's been at a dead end before. I don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced a dead end in your life. Or you, you lost a job, or somebody broke up with you, or, or your, your life right now is not where you thought it would be. Like you, you thought you would be way beyond where you're at right now. Or there are some things that, that didn't happen that you thought were going to happen, or maybe there were some things that did happen that you did not plan. This was not on, on your schedule. Like when you were dreaming about your life, you did not have this event on it. And you may be feeling like you're at a dead end financially or relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I'm so encouraged by countless times in Scripture God takes your dead end, your your time of upheaval, and He says, you know what, I think I'll start to do something new in them. I think I'll I'll start a new beginning. And it's great news if you find yourself at a dead end. This is literally what God does in the life of Priscilla and Aquila. Elizabeth and I used to live in New Orleans, and we moved into New Orleans uh, a little less than a month from when Katrina hit. And so, like, we we got away for the weekend because we thought, like, ah, storm's going to be some rain. And two weeks later, we got back into our house, and, like, it was just totally devastated. Six foot of water, and everything was covered in mold, and... And we moved to Houston with just like a car full of stuff. We moved to Houston. And so I, like I know, I know this pain. I know what it feels like to have your life shattered right in front of you. And, and to, to, to just move into a new city where you know absolutely no one and you have nothing. This is the story of Priscilla and Aquila. And the, the cool thing is this is right where God picks up. We don't know anything about Priscilla and Aquila's life before this point. But then when it hits rock bottom, this is when God begins his story. And so scripture tells us that Priscilla and Quilla, they had two things, right? They were tent makers, so they were construction workers, and they owned a construction company. So they had their business and they had a job and, and a house. When you're a construction worker, you can build your own house. They built their house and they had a job, and they looked at Paul, this follower of Jesus, this guy that wanted to plant churches, and they said, Paul, here's the deal, man. We want to help you out. So here's what you can do. You can come and live in our house. And you can work for us. We're tent makers. We can do this together. We will employ you and, and pay you. So you got a job and you have a place to stay. And this is what this couple offered Paul. Here's the first thing that I want to share with you. The first thing we can get from these verses. If you want your marriage, if you want your life to make an impact and to change the world, here's my first challenge for you. Would you be willing to open up your hand? Would you be willing in your life to simply Open up your hand. Here's what Priscilla and Aquila did. 
they took what they had. They only had, they had a job and a house. And they looked at Paul and they said, hey man, here's our two things. Want to use them? Can we serve you with them? Can we help you? Is there a way that we can make an impact on your life? And they simply took what they had, and instead of being close-fisted about it, they were open-handed. Now, this is the opposite of what we do, right? Our culture is a very close-fisted culture. This is my job. It's my money. It's my time. It's my family. It's my house, my dreams, my hopes, my plans, my future, my desires. I don't care about you. You do you, I'll do me. Right? I'll look out for what's best for me and you, good luck. <laughs> just figure it out. We're all out here. Just, it's every man for himself. Just figure it out. That's how we live, very close-fisted, very closed off. But this couple said, hey, here's what I've got. doesn't look like much. got a job. You can work hard, and i got a house you can stay in. They live their lives open-handed. And I know what you're thinking, right? You may be thinking, no big deal, right? I mean, it's just, it's just hospitality. I mean, come on, that's... Really? They got in the Bible because they let somebody spend the night with them? Like they, they let somebody come and be a part of their house? Be- before you write that off, let's rewind. You ready? Let's rewind two and a half months. You know what two and a half months ago was? Christmas. Christmas when all of your family was at your house. You remember that? Yeah, some of you, it's, it's like a flashback. You're like, ah. Two, three, four Five days your in-laws were at your house. Three, four, five days too long. You ever had somebody come over to your house? It wrecks everything, right? I mean, it wrecks your schedule. Like, forget about what you do. When somebody's living with you in your house, staying, it, it wrecks your schedule. It, like, it changes everything. They eat your food. They drink your drinks. They eat your ice cream out of the freezer. They use your towels. Like, they don't do things the way you do, right? You ever notice that? They do them wrong and you do them right? Like, they just don't, they don't do things the way that you do. They, they stay up later or they wake up earlier or they don't eat, they don't like the food that you cook, so it's like somebody's got a special diet or you got to do something different. And, like, there are certain things that go out the window when you have company in your house. One of them is privacy, right? Like, say goodbye to privacy. Like, you think about walking downstairs in your house with your underwear on? Don't, Right? <laughs> Anybody Nobody else do that? Okay, just me. All right, so throw that, throw that out. Like, you can't do that. It gets weird when you walk downstairs and your mother-in-law's on the couch and you're in your underwear. It's just bad. You can't do that. Like, everything about, like, forget about hot water, okay? Unless you're going to get up at, like, 5 a.m. and take a shower, it's not going to be any hot water. Because your mother-in-law or whoever it is, I don't know why they take such long showers, but they do, and all your hot water's gone. It's an absolute inconvenience when somebody comes to your house. You know you have to keep your house clean when they're there? Like, you have to fake it, right? Like, you just, like, pretend, like, oh, no, it's always like this. Come on. And everything is in a certain place, and it's, and it's put away, and it's nice, and it's tidy. It's a hassle, man. It's a hassle. It's inconvenient. It is really uncomfortable. Like, you have to wear pants in your own house. It's your own house, man. You shouldn't have to wear pants in your own house if you don't want to. And so it may seem really light. It may seem like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. But listen, this is an inconvenience. This is an absolute sacrifice. Scripture tells us that Paul lived with this couple for a year and a half. Ugh. Year and a half. <laughs> like, like when your family comes over for a weekend, you're ready. Like, you don't even, the only reason you love these people is because you have to, because they're your family and your wife makes you. But like, this is like Priscilla and Aquila. This is Paul. This is not their cousin. This is not their relative. They don't have to do this. 
but they live open-handed. Instead of my house, my business, my money, my plan, my comfort, my dreams, my desires, my time the next year and a half, they look at Paul and say, hey, can, can you use it? Can you benefit from it? Is there any way that, that we can take what we have and serve you? Priscilla and Aquila would have absolutely known that this was going to be a hassle. That it was going to sacrifice their privacy and their comfort. It was going to cost them financially. That their life would have to be put on hold for the next year and a half to help accommodate for Paul. But they were willing to live their life open-handed. If you want to make a difference, if you want your life to make a difference and impact the world, we have to learn how to go from closed-fisted to open-handed. To being willing to say, God, whatever I have, you can have it. You can use it. If there's a way that you can use this to impact others, then that's what I want to do. So every sermon that was preached in the city of Corinth, every member that joined the church, even the stories that are coming out of this church 2,000 years later of people being challenged by what's written in the book of 1 Corinthians goes back to Priscilla and Aquila simply living their life open-handed. Would you be willing to do that? Second thing Paul leads to in this story is, is in verse 18. It says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at a Caesarea. Good news, if you want to get your hair cut, and go there. Because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them there, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail for Ephesus. The second thing that we see Priscilla and Aquila doing is, is this. Check this out. Would you be willing to make yourself available? Would you be willing to live your life open-handed, your marriage, your relationships, everything about you? And then secondly, would you be able just to make yourself available? Like, would you be willing to do that? Here's what happened. Paul comes home in Corinth one day, and he begins to talk about the city of Ephesus. It's the book of Ephesians in Scripture. He plants another church. And just like Paul does, he stays for about a year and a half, two years in a city, plants a church, raises up a group of leaders, and then he moves on to the next city, does the same thing over again. Well, his time in Corinth is up. So he's ready to move on, and he looks at Priscilla and Aquila, and he begins to say things like, there's no church in Ephesus. There's a huge problem there. There's a big need for the gospel. People are suffering physically and spiritually. And so Paul begins to articulate the problem. And I love this about Priscilla and Aquila. When they heard a problem, they automatically assumed that they could be a part of the solution. They made themselves available. That is the exact opposite of what we tend to do. You ever notice that? When we find out about a problem, we start to look around and figure, I wonder who's going to do something about it. Or we get on Facebook and complain about it. Or we make fun of the people that are not doing anything. Or we just simply cry and complain and moan about everything that's wrong in our family, in our church, in our city, and in our country. And what if, what if, what if God brought a need to your mind, not so that you could complain and cry about it, so that, but so that you could actually be a part of the solution? Like, like Priscilla and Aquila didn't say, oh, geez, Ephesus? Oh, my goodness. You know it's hot in Ephesus year-round. Like, you sweat all year-round. Did you know that? Ephesus, is t- Ephesus doesn't even have a Starbucks. Do you know? Come on, Stone Age. They don't even have a Starbucks in Ephesus, man. wonder who's going to go to Ephesus. Yeah, I'm not anybody. 
No, they didn't sit there and hear a problem and say, I wonder who's going to fix it. They assumed that they would be a part of the solution. What if as a church, we looked at the problems in our city and instead of blaming government or blaming someone else, we assumed that God allowed us to be a part of it, to be a part of the solution? What if we looked at the needs? I mean, we talk about them all the time, needs in St. Vincent, needs in Honduras and Cuba and Iraq and Italy and all of the places that we go, childhood hunger, serving at the shelter, serving in Winston-Salem. What if instead of being faced with problems and just saying, who else is going to do it? I wonder who's going to step up. Wonder whose problem that is. Wonder who's going to give their time because I sure don't have any. Wonder who's going to give financially because I sure don't want to. What if we assume that God brought that across our plates because he wants us to be a part of the solution? What if the reason why God didn't bring that problem to somebody else is because he didn't want them to solve it. He wanted us to solve it. And that's what this couple did. Said, oh, hey, there's a need in Ephesus. Hey, we'll go. We'll move. We'll invest. We'll give, like, Paul, you, you want to go there and start a new business? You want to make some more tents? You want to crash with us? Like, we, we'll, we'll do it. They viewed themselves as, as part of the solution. Instead of saying, I wonder who's going to fix it, they started asking, I wonder how God could use me. Instead of looking at everyone else saying, well, well, they could definitely give, and, well, if she doesn't do anything, she could give her time, and, well, like, I do enough already, so it's somebody else's turn. What if you just said, maybe I'm a part of the solution? God, how can you use me? What can, what can I do? Um, too many times in our culture, we're ready to, to pass it off to somebody else. I got a letter in the mail uh, about a year ago from the sheriff's department. It was a uh, summons to jury duty. I don't know if you've ever done jury duty before. It's terrible. So on this letter, it says, you need to show up at the sheriff's office, like in this courtroom setting, and they're going to vet the, the jurors. There's like 100 people that got a letter and say, we're looking for like 12 jurors. So I was like, all right, some odds are good for not having to do this. Uh, so we roll in there, and they begin to articulate, this is how long, this particular case, this is what happened. We're expecting it to last about two or three days. The first thing on my mind is, I, I can't do two or three days. Um, I, do, like, I don't want to do that. you got to like, figure out watching kids and taking off work and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I, I just don't want to do that. So my mind automatically went to why I wasn't going to do it. And so the lady that was uh, running the session, she said, if anybody has a problem with these three days, if you can't do it, then you can come up to the stage and, and get in front of the microphone and speak to the judge and the, the lawyers were on the panel as well. And you can tell them why and, and we're going to make a decision as they get the jury pool. And so it was crazy people standing up giving their excuses. One guy was like, well, I got to work. Well, come to find out, like, uh, uh, your employer cannot fire you or punish you for doing jury duty. So she was just like, not a legitimate excuse. Go sit down. Another guy, kid you not, this was the best one. Another guy, <laughs> another guy said, because um, one of the things was, like, if you had an air, air uh, trip, like an airplane trip or like a, a, a business trip that you had to go on that you had already booked the, the flights or if you had a doctor's appointment. And so this guy came up to the stage and said, I've got a doctor's appointment tomorrow. I'm not going to be able to make it. And uh, the, the lady that was running, she says, what time is your doctor's appointment? And he said, well, I, haven't, I actually have not scheduled it yet. I've been meaning I need to go to the doctor. And I was thinking that tomorrow, I was, as soon as we leave here, I'm getting ready to call and try to get an appointment for tomorrow. And I was like, oh, man, that's no good. So he didn't get it. He didn't get it. So the, it, it got on, and they began to whittle people down and whittle people down. And then, and then she finally stood up at the end, and, and like they asked questions uh, that are related to the case. And this particular lawyer, she was representing someone that had a ton of tattoos, right? And so she stands up, and she says, does anybody here have a problem with tattoos? And like five people were like, me, problem with tattoos. 
Like, they knew. <laughs> they were like, oh, no, I can't. Would it, would, it, would it stop you from being fair? Absolutely. Hate tattoos. Anybody that has tattoos should go to jail. And I'm getting nervous. <laughs> I'm getting nervous. Like, I'm having a character issue here because I'm like, tattoo guy is going to get to go home, and I'm going to have to serve. And this is not fair. And so I'm thinking about having a problem with tattoos, and I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't know what to do. Thankfully, like, whittled everybody down. They finally let me go. They said, like, you're, there's something wrong with you or something. You're not good enough to serve. So I was like, Phew. Man, I worked so hard to get out of that. Like, I was thinking of every possible reason why I did not need to sit in that courtroom for two and three days and do my civil duty. I'll do that some other time. And it's crazy how oftentimes we look at problems around us like that. We give ourselves a thousand reasons why it shouldn't be us. Why somebody else can do it. Like, just put barriers and, and, and make things up in our life that will convince ourselves that it's okay if we step out on this one, that it's okay if we just overlook this need. What if we assumed that God put us here to be a part of the solution instead of simply writing it off? I love how Priscilla and Aquila did that in, in, in their life. Here's how the story ends. Verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. See, here's a story uh, Apollos was that guy that you love to hate, right? He's the guy that makes all A's in school and doesn't even have to study. He's like a, a, a letterman in three or four different sports. He's the prom king, right? Goes to, he's the most popular guy in school. Scripture says this guy is smart. He's handsome. He's an incredible speaker, right? I mean, just like the way he preaches is moving. I mean, the guy just everything from his body language to the, the language that he uses, the way he communicates, his tone, his pitch, his pace, everything is perfect. This guy's a superstar. Thousands of people are coming to hear him speak. But here's the catch. Scripture says he only knows about the baptism of John. See, here was the message of John. John was saying one day a Savior will come. One day... God will send someone, his name will be Jesus, God will send a guy named Jesus to the world to live the life that you were supposed to live, to die the death that we were supposed to die, and he will be the savior of the world. John's message was preparing the way for Jesus. Well, undoubtedly, Apollos didn't know Jesus had already come. Like, I don't know if he was out of the country at the time or what, but this guy's preaching this message that, hey, one day a Savior will be, will be sent. One day you'll be able to go to heaven. One day you'll understand God's love for you. And Priscilla and Aquila says, hey, wait, 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 we need to tell you about Jesus. Here's what they did. Third thing, if you want your life to make an impact, if you want your marriage, your relationships, everything about you, learn how to do this. Learn how to invest in others. Not just invest in you. Priscilla and Aquila could have easily walked out of that church and think, yeah, that guy's a heretic. <laughs> he is going to bust hell wide open, man. That is going to be, wow. That's his problem, though. Don't worry about it. You know what they did instead? Instead of saying, hey, well, I, I know the good news. I know about Jesus. So like all those other people that don't know who Jesus is, that's up to them. They invited this guy into their house. And they said, hey, man, let me tell you about Jesus. That guy you're waiting on, he's already come. That resurrection you're talking about already happened. That life change that you desperately want to experience, it's, it's actually already here. And here's, the, here's the, the trip that we have as followers of Jesus oftentimes. We will make excuses for not investing in other people. 
for not bringing someone else underneath our wing, for not sharing with somebody. And here's the reason. I don't know enough. Like, what if they ask a question that I don't know the answer to? Like, I don't know enough, and so I don't want to go out there and share it with somebody else. I don't want to talk about my faith. I don't want to say this or do that. What if, what if I don't know enough? And here's the, here's the saying that, I, that I'm reminded of. Interesting saying, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Guys, we live in a spiritually blind culture, and even if you only had one eye open, guess what that makes you in the land of the blind? The king. That means you know, even if you only know a little bit, you know things that people don't know. You have answers that people don't have. And if you would just be willing to invest in others, to disciple someone, just to take someone underneath your wing. If you're an older couple, take a a young married couple underneath your wing. Man, if you're a seasoned follower of Jesus, take a new believer underneath your wing. Man, if you know know one plus one equals two, then teach somebody that doesn't know math. Just teach them that. I love Priscilla and Akula say, hey man, we know one thing, Jesus, and that's what you don't know, so why don't you come over and let's talk about it. Instead of just being focused on their own life, they decided to invest in others, and so they loved Apollos, they helped him, they coached him, they challenged him, they equipped him, and they encouraged him. You may not know this about Apollos, but Apollos would go on and be the very first pastor of the church in Corinth. He would become one of the most well-known communicators and pastors and leaders in all of the first century. And it was all because a couple decided to invest in him. They decided to open up their hand to say, whatever we have is yours, come into our home. And they impacted the world. 2,000 years later, we are still being impacted by a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. I was doing some, uh, just asking some people uh, this week, I was telling them I was preaching on Priscilla and Aquila, and I was amazed at how many people didn't know who that was. And, and if they didn't know who that was, they, they knew who it was, but they didn't know what they did. Right? I was like, yeah, Priscilla and Aquila, I've heard of them before. Is that Old Testament or New Testament? or like, What did they do? And can, will you give me a refresher? And I thought it was so refreshing to me that a couple that nobody even knows impacted so many people and changed the world. I want to show you a picture of uh, a lady. Her name is uh, Henrietta Mears. This is uh, Henrietta Stone Cold Fox there. Um, she lived in Hollywood, California, and she was a Sunday school teacher at a church there. She was single her whole life and thought that it was her calling, her responsibility, just to teach people what she knew. And so she led a Sunday school class for kids, students, mainly male students in her class. And week after week, she would show up and teach people about Jesus. She would just share what she knew just loving people, investing in people, trying to help people, living her life open-handed. And I don't think she knew at the time what God was going to do through her ministry. So let, me, let me introduce you to four people that were in her Sunday school class. People that she had no idea at the time would make anything of their lives. The first one is Bill Bright. Bill Bright started Campus Crusade for Christ. It's known as Crew right now. Do you know that 90% of the colleges and universities in the world, not just in America, in the world, have a campus crusade for Christ, have a crew chapter on them. 190 different countries are being impacted by this collegiate ministry that was started by Bill Bright. 90% of colleges and universities. And Bill Bright was a member of Henrietta Mears' Sunday school class. 
Here's another name. Dawson Trotman was a man who started Navigators. Navigators is a ministry that prints out materials free of charge and gives them to churches all over the world, answering questions like, who is God? Who is Jesus? How do you have a relationship with him? What is the Bible? How do you deal with doubt? How do you answer hard questions? How do you grow in your faith? How do you know if you have a relationship with God? In 90 different countries, this material is printed and given away for free by this Navigators organization. And, and this man, Dawson Trotman, was in Henrietta Meyer's Sunday school class. Third name is this, Jim Rayburn. Jim Rayburn started Young Life. Young Life is the largest student ministry organization in the world. Middle school, high school, and college students all over the world are being impacted by weekly worship gatherings on campus for students. There's a young life in all 50 states and in 100 countries all around the world. Check this out. In 2006 or 2016, 2 million students a year were being impacted by young life. Annually, like not in total, like since the inception of the organization, 2 million students Middle school, high school, and college students are being impacted by young life every year. And Jim Rayburn was a member of Henrietta Mears' Sunday school class. Last person I want to tell you about is a young man that went to Sunday school there, and his name was William Graham. His friends called him Billy. Billy Graham said of Henrietta Mears, she was one of the most significant influences on my entire life. A man that would preach to millions and impact the world in a powerful way had a significant influence in his life named Henrietta Mears. Those are just one of four students, hundreds of men that came through her Sunday school class and ministry in Hollywood, California, Surrendered their life and went into full-time ministry. Planted churches, were missionaries overseas, started collegiate ministries. Changed the world. Changed the world. Now this woman had no idea that these junior high and high school and college students that would come through her class would ever go on to do anything. Much like Priscilla and Aquila had no idea that Apollos would be the guy to plant the church in Corinth and, and, and change the world. Be one of the most powerful preachers and leaders in all of the first century. Hey guys, we don't need any more heroes in this church. Jesus is our hero. He's already got that spot. What we need is more Priscilla's and Aquila's. What we need is more Henrietta Mears. People that they don't care about their name. They just want to make the name of Jesus famous. People that want to live their life with an open hand. Hey God, if this is what I have, then can you use it? Man, would you be willing to open up your hand? Would you be willing to invest in others? Would you be willing to make a decision now so that when some pastor or some family member stands on a stage on the day after you die, he won't have to lie about your life making an impact? But there will be countless story after story after story of how your life, your marriage, your relationships, your generosity, your attitude and actions, your obedience to, to, to just make yourself a part of the solution, how those things change the world. It won't happen by accident. Would you be willing to do something now in order to make that commitment? Hey, I want my life to matter. I don't want to get to the, my to the end of my life and realize I spent everything on stuff that doesn't matter. 
stuff that is not going to impact anybody outside of me. And when you die, everything dies with it. Paul, uh, days before he died, wrote the book of 2 Timothy, uh, a book also here in the Bible. And um, in 2 Timothy 4.19, it's one of the last verses that he wrote. He's writing to Timothy, this pastor of a church, and he says, Do me a favor, tell Priscilla and Aquila I said hello. This is decades after their ministry started. Here they are, the power couple, still serving, still giving, still being faithful, still, still making an impact. And I believe that's how you can do it. Open-handed. Be a part of the solution. and Invest in others. That's how your life, your marriage, your relationships, everything about you makes an impact and changes the world.